Popaholics, show about hot takes, hotter than pancakes, but we're the show with hype and spunk. Oh, and boy, for this Christmas, we're getting a little cyberpunk. If this is your first time coming to the show, I just made that up five seconds ago. Wasn't my best, wasn't my worst, though, so I am pretty proud of it. If this is your first time on the show, this is the show that you know that's all about pop culture, and we theme our months. Uh, we do our weekly uploads that are every Monday that are just catching us up on the latest goings-on in pop culture, and then on our Wednesday main topic episodes, we center around a theme. We do. Uh, before we get to that, my name is Christian Katie. I'm your cyberpunk host <laughs> with my nipple piercings. Cyber Chris. Cyber Christian with my augmented uh, kneecaps, uh, knives that come out. Uh, and I'm joined by my two best friends, Chris Conkling and Brian Dupree. And boys, it's Christmas season. And because CD Projekt Red's Cyberpunk 2077 can't seem to hit a release date and has pushed all the way to the end of this month, it has fallen upon the Christmas month that we focus on cyberpunk culture. Uh, if you don't know what CD Projekt Red is, they're a developer that made the Witcher series and they have a very, uh, one of the most anticipated games uh, I think in the last like five years, Cyberpunk 2077, based on the pop popular uh, tabletop game, uh, coming out this month. So we're exploring, we're going down the rabbit hole of cyberpunk films. Uh, are you guys excited? Before we get into like what we're talking about today, which is Blade Runner, which is the the mother, uh, one of the the father, the cinematic father of cyberpunk. What is cyberpunk to you guys? To me, the cyberpunk genre typically takes place in a dystopian future. Usually you have some type of society with a reliance on technology, a heavy reliance on technology. Um, and for the most part, society has become a kind of downtrodden, downtrodden and impoverished. Uh, and, but it looks dope. There's a lot of like neon lights and uh, sweet colors, but the world's pretty much gone to shit. Typically in a cyberpunk movie, that that's what I expect to see. You know, you have things like the matrix. That's technically a cyberpunk movie and all the movies we're going to be watching this month. Um, I also think a lot about anime. There are a lot of anime, uh, movies that I watched when I was a kid or a teenager that, uh, focus on the cyberpunk genre. We watched Akira, uh, a year ago about that. I would consider that a cyberpunk movie. We're going to watch uh, the original ghost in the shell this month. That's uh, definitely a cyberpunk movie, but yeah, that that's kind of what I think of when I think of the cyberpunk genre, Brian, what about you? Yeah. So obviously the immediate thing that I think of when I hear cyberpunk is the aesthetic mm -hmm. and you know, the matrix is obviously one of the huge examples of just like a complete style even though that's not exactly cyberpunk but right like you said it always is this forward-thinking dystopian largely cynical or even paranoid take on the progression of technology and how it affects humanity <clears throat> and who gets left behind in the technological landscape of the future and personally i think that's because uh, technology is getting further and further. Um, this movie, you know, Blade Runner is set in 2019, which feels so surreal <laughs> in 2020 watching yeah. it. But um, these sorts of movies have constant cultural relevance. And even something like Blade Runner, The Matrix, they become more relevant as time goes on, seeing, you know, uh, the inevitable pro progression of tech, like like I said. I This is best summed up. My, one of my favorite 
things that I would recommend, I'm going to put a link in the show notes, is The Origins of Cyberpunk Part 1. I don't know if there's a part two yet, but it's by a YouTube channel called Indigo Gaming. And it is a 50-minute like documentary on the history of cyberpunk, which... To be fair, I watched this and it kind of influenced this entire month of like me getting primed for Cyberpunk Month. Also, this is the first time Brian and I are hearing of it. So Christian withheld this from us for many days before the recording. Buried the lead. So sorry. Uh, I, I will link this in the show notes and, and, and I'll let you, uh, I'll, I'll share it with you guys if you want. Uh, and, and we watch this and we can reflect more on the month. But it, 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 it really outlines the history in written fiction movies and gaming really well and you guys hit a lot of points like you guys didn't need to watch this youtube video because you guys you guys hit the nail on the head but a lot of uh the the kind of uh, dark side of where technology can lead us and we're focused on on gadgets and augmentation and neglecting the decay of humanity so the decay mm-hmm. of humanity is this the foundation on on top of this technocratic society and I gotta say, I've never been huge into this genre. It's weird that I'm so pumped for this game. I'd push for us to do this month. And cyberpunk stuff is really not my favorite. Like I love the Matrix, but it's cyberpunk light, you know. So okay, can we can we set? What do you guys think of? I was looking through a list, and I realized the first in this Wikipedia list of cyberpunk movies, and maybe they're cyberpunk adjacent. Bicentennial Man may have been the first movie. That is really? defined as partially cyberpunk that I ever saw, which I think I it's would... 1999, Robin Williams. I haven't seen it since I saw it back then, but um, I was reading a little bit about it. I was like, wow, this, there might be some depth to this movie that definitely didn't translate With like, <laughs> as much as it I did. I think Steven Spielberg's AI is more cyberpunk than Bicentennial Man. Okay. Sure. But that's just my opinion. No, but that's there's a... we should we should uh, break it down. <laughs> there, well, there's a part in like cyberpunk stuff and uh, the game is going to focus a lot on this because it's like a gameplay feature in the tabletop and what will be the video game of augmenting uh, your body with mechanical parts. Right. right. And I think Bicentennial man is like, it's he's like RoboCop. He's, he's doing the reverse. He's a robot that is uh, slowly becoming human. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't remember. I remember okay, Brian. So I, I saw think we Robocop saw in this list as well. So I'm maybe I just don't understand the genre entirely. But <laughs> No, and that's fair. I think it is kind of a, a, a weird genre. Um, but we're going to talk more about that in this episode as well as in the follow-up episodes to try to really crack down. I, I would say that like cyberpunk in of itself is not any of our bags, right? Chris... You know, when we played a role-playing tabletop game, we played classic, you know, D&D. Right. We might have played it. What, we played no, um, what is it? Mutants and Masterminds, or, I think uh, it's Yeah, and then there's um, there's Cyberpunk is, is actually a tabletop game, and then... Warhammer? I'm just naming tabletop games That's now. the other one I had as, as well. <laughs> Chris, do you think these... Because I saw Minority Report, iRobot, mm-hmm. Scanner Darkly, uh, Akira was on there, Dread. Scanner Darkly. Which makes sense. Yeah, I... I don't know. This was this was a wiki list. I don't think it was definitive by any stretch, but I was just trying to see like, you know, what I had seen that people call it. Obviously, I think Minority Report, yes. Okay. Cuz they say is like pre-cyberpunk. Uh, I saw somewhere it was like 1982 was kind of the definitive start and things before that were like things leading up into cyberpunk, mm-hmm. I guess. Shadow um, Runs, the other uh, dystopian future cyberpunk tabletop game. Sorry to interrupt, Brian. But we're not talking about those things today. We are talking about cyberpunk, and we're going to talk one of the granddaddies of cyberpunk cinema. 
And there's a lot to get into on this, so let's dive right in. We're going to be talking about 1982's Blade Runner. I mean, technically, it's 2007's Blade Runner, the final cut. I need your deck. This is a bad one. The worst yet. There was an escape from the off-world colonies two weeks ago. Six replicants. Three male, three female. They slaughtered 20... A Blade Runner's job is to hunt down replicants. Manufactured humans you can't tell from the real thing. What's this? Roy Batty. Probably the leader. There was just one outfit making replicants that superhuman. The Terrell Corporation. Dr. Eldon Tyrell. I don't get it, Tyrell. Commerce is our goal here at Tyrell. More human than human is our motto. That is from the trailer of the original Blade Runner that came out in 1982. But we specifically, through our council of artistic merit, have decided to talk about Blade Runner, the final cut. Now, the original uh, and, and this was based on the Philip K. Dick novel, uh, short story rather, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, directed by Ridley Scott, written by Hampton, uh, Fancher, and David Peoples, score by Van, Van, Vangelis, is it pronounced Vangelis? I think so. Uh, with a budget of $30 million, that's oh, crazy, uh, it grossed $41.5 million, and it starred Harrison Ford, Rutger Hauer, uh, Mary Sean Young, Edward James Olmos, Michael Emmett Walsh, Daryl Hannah, and William Sanderson, and we're going to be talking about our history uh, with uh, this film and the various cuts, as well as our opinions. Uh, while we're talking about it, we will be spoiling uh, the movie. We hope that you've watched it. This will be focused primarily on the final cut. So let's dive into it. What's our history with Blade Runner and its various cuts? Chris, can we start with you? I have fond memories of this movie, mostly because uh, when I was 17 or 18 and I first started showing interest in filmmaking, you know, I had gotten uh, a mini DV camcorder in high school and I was, you know, starting to make short films with friends and, and film uh, local rock bands and stuff like that. And just basically editing and, and, and getting into making my own movies. I remember that Christmas my dad bought me uh, a bunch of different DVDs, DVDs of films that he thought were some of the best films that had been made. Uh, I remember he bought me Citizen Kane, he bought me One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and he bought me Blade Runner, The Final Cut, because this had just been released in 2007. Your dad's awesome. He is awesome. Shout out. Absolutely. Frank Conner. Um, Great. So for, for most of my experience with this film... Uh, I've only seen the final cut. I have researched, you know, the elements that went into the director's cut. Don't be confused by these titles. The director's cut technically is not the true director's cut. The final cut is the only cut that Ridley Scott had full artistic uh, leeway over. Um, and I have only seen the original theatrical release with the voiceover once. Um, every other viewing has always been the final cut because I believe this to be uh, the best version of this particular film. 
But yeah, the, this, I'm always going to have a special place in my heart for this movie because of that Christmas where my dad bought me the DVD. And it, this is kind of uh, the beginning of my interest in film. Brian. I think I may have been the latest to the game on Blade Runner out of all of us because I actually didn't see this until I want to say 2017 time frame for the first time. So at this point, I already knew there was a bunch of cuts. I bought a Blu-ray set that contained all... Well, maybe not all of them. I believe it's four or five of of the cuts, uh, of which there may be seven total. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. But because of this, I asked around and looked to see which one is the best. So the only one that I've seen is the final cut. Um, I do know about some of the stuff that was added, uh, you know, the voiceover added theatrically. But everyone that I talk to pretty much says that version is um, notably worse. And it takes away from things entirely. So I was lucky enough to come to this late. And because of that, I've only seen the final cut. And I think this was my third time watching it um, since then, about four years ago or so. And Brian, uh, you were correct. There are seven different cuts of this film. Ridiculous. (laughs) As I always say, every great film has seven different cuts. Just to prove how great it is in any way that you mash it up. Uh, that leads me to my uh, opinions about this movie. Loyal listeners, you may know I've dropped my opinions of Blade Runner on this podcast before. I have a very personal connection to this movie, but it is in the exact opposite light that Chris does. So I studied film with Chris and I had a very well-intentioned, very smart, great film professor I believe his name was Eric. Shout was, out to yep. Eric of Valencia State College. <laughs> My uh, film history and uh, screenwriting uh, professor. He's a really... And I think film business as and well. Film business, yeah, yeah. yeah. Great, gr- great guy. I, I really, in my, in my adulthood, have nothing bad to say about him. Uh, however, uh, during uh, said uh, film history class, one of his favorite films was Blade Runner. And... We went a few weeks where we exclusively watched... I don't know if we ever watched Blade Runner. I don't think we did because... I think we watched uh, Dangerous Days, the uh, making of Blade Runner documentary. Which I thought was really great. But for like a couple more weeks, we kept covering Blade Runner. And then I tried to watch it and uh, I didn't like it and actively did not finish it. It was boring... Uh, I didn't like the structure of the, the, there was a voiceover that happened throughout. Now, this was after the final cut was released, but the cut that I had watched was either the original cut or the director's cut. I I really couldn't tell you at this point. But I hadn't made it more than, I I can tell you every time I've tried to watch a cut of this movie, I make it to the scene where Roy Batty uh, meets the man uh, working on the eyes. And, and, and that, and I just, I, I never have made it past that, that, that scene. And um, during during one of the classes when it was like the third or fourth class where he's like, all right, we're going to be talking about more Blade Runner stuff. I like stood up in the class and I was like, this movie isn't that good. It's a bad movie. Like there's good <laughs> there's good things about it. Like I get it. The production design is very impressive. And the doc, uh, thank you for showing us the doc. I don't I probably didn't. It's even amazing. Say, I probably didn't even say it this well. My intention was to say, you know, I enjoy probably just like this movie fucking sucks. I basically said this movie fucking sucks. <laughs> and uh, he rightfully, Yikes. as the professor, kicked me out of his class and then uh, had a conversation. He said, you're an asshole. Um, 
you haven't done anything with your life uh and you may never do anything with your life <laughs> and oh my gosh and uh you shouldn't talk shit i'm the teacher so uh which is i think it's fair like looking back i'm like that dude was totally in the right but i was i was pissed off so uh, at least i've had a chip on my shoulder about the old blade runner uh so i've tried to watch a couple of the cuts uh, chris we were talking before the show started about how we had watched it as a friend group in college yeah and like we would just get together and watch movies and i don't know if you remember i i i would always hang out and watch i very good attention span would watch all the movies and talk about it have a great time i walked out of our friend group watching blade runner which is the only movie i think i've done that with our friend group in college and i was like i'm gonna leave i don't like this movie it actively makes me upset which you know doesn't take a therapist to say that's probably rooted in some sort of psychological thing about me not liking the situation which i hated blade runner and then was reinforced that blade runner was indeed trash so that's my history with Blade Runner. Um, I'm all psyched for the cyberpunk uh, game coming out, and we're putting this together, and Blade Runner is really important, so we have to talk about it. So having shared our history with Blade Runner, uh, let's start with general opinions about Blade Runner, the final cut on this rewatch. Brian, I'm interested to hear your take. Yeah, so you briefly mentioned it, but it can't be overstated. <clears throat> I watched this movie on a Blu-ray on relatively good tv and this thing i'm not sure there's a single effect that doesn't hold up in this movie everything looks absolutely incredible i can't imagine how it looked relatively at the time but this world is so fully realized and fleshed out that i think you have to give it its due for that the way this movie is um lit and shot i wanted to shout out the cinematographer jordan Crenenweth. It's it's just unbelievable what they're able to show and the combination of I I guess it's not I'm not gonna say uh, CG but whatever special effects they're doing for things like shadowing where you have a an enclosure that you have a basically a window that is a, a light shadow window I don't know exactly even what I to think call it's it just I still like don't lighting know. it's a blind right are you talking about like when the the rooms get dark. Yeah, they're exactly. just blinds, it's like basically. shades, yeah, but it's shades. like a force field. Yeah. And you could see through it. And I was just really impressed by how good that looked, even something where um, you know, I, I just really believed the space. So yeah, the production, you can't say enough about it. Um, yeah, there's some things in this movie, and obviously the critics talk about it. Our main character is morally ambiguous at best, if not downright you know, clearly wrong and abusive at times to, to some of our characters. So, you know, you, I don't know. It's, I, I don't dislike the movie for that. I, I can appreciate a movie where things are up in the air. This is very much a movie that leaves you with questions. I think intentionally, even if Ridley Scott has his take on how, how you should read the movie. Um, I really like that about it. How every time I watch it, there are different questions that I find myself asking because it's not so cut and dry. And the way that it's shot, this, the snake symbology that is throughout, whether it's through the lighting behind a character and it looks like snake eyes, just haunting images that that stick with you, you know? Um, Plot-wise, I kind of agree with you, Christian. It's not a super interesting plot. I think conceptually, it's it's a little more interesting than what the plot is is giving us. But Uh, I kind of want to talk to you guys about what the plot is anyway. But uh, yeah, I think um, what I ultimately really like about this movie is the questions that it brings about 
with consciousness and humanity and uh, the future of tech and you know what it means to be a slave, right? Yeah. Um, that there are some really big questions in this movie that uh, we still need to ask ourselves today. Indeed. Chris. Brian, I, I think you pretty much uh, summed it up. Christian, why don't we just close out the episode there? Uh, oh my gosh, please. <laughs> um, no, I feel I, like I, you I, think, Brian, not to spoil my opinion, but you encapsulated a lot of my thoughts very well. My, mine as well. Uh, Brian, I think you hit the nail on the head. Production-wise, like Brian mentioned, uh, this is an artistic masterpiece. And can we like, shout out, uh, Chris, I'm sorry to cut you off so early, no, but I no, do want to shout out uh, Lawrence G. Paul, the production designer and David L. Snyder because, uh, yeah, some of the, some of the best work. So those two, Lawrence G. Paul also worked on, uh, uh, escape from LA and back to the future as a production designer. So, so very well accomplished. And uh, this is one of, one of the highest achievements in, in production design, but, but continue. I just, I would feel we've mentioned it twice and I'm going to mention it again. It cannot be said enough. Uh, true heroes of why this film is important and completely meaningful. agree. The, the special effects in this film, uh, you have to remember that this movie came out before CGI became a thing. Uh, everything in this movie is done practically. And that in and of itself is why this is a cinematic masterpiece. Uh, the first Ridley shot Scott's, on the eye. Yeah. We get, entire city in the reflection on the eye it's just magnificent yeah i'm sorry chris it's okay <laughs> uh ridley scott has done such a great job with realizing this world uh it, it's it it truly is uh a monumental feat in in hollywood history um on top of that like brian mentioned uh this movie does bring about and make you ask a lot of philosophical questions about what it means to be human. Uh, like you said, Brian, questions about consciousness. Uh, and I really appreciate about that about this particular film. Uh, Deckard is morally questionable, particularly with our, our leading lady, Rachel. There are some things in this movie that uh, <laughs> watching through 2020 eyes are problematic. Uh, Rachel in this film seems to be pretty submissive, uh, but uh, everything that Deckard is doing with her, it's supposed to be romantic, but it doesn't seem consensual uh, by any means. Um, The music cues are just completely strange because he literally holds the door closed and doesn't let her leave, and they got the sweet sax music in the background, and it's just like... It's so weird to think about how that played in the 80s, I guess. I know it, this film is supposed was, to be nu- a noir. Kind of hot. Is that wrong? It's supposed oh, to be hard. a noir, and you tend to see those like the, those type of women in uh, classic noir films, you know? That's true. But sure. uh, that doesn't make it she's, okay. Well, and, I mean, the only, I think the only saving grace behind that scene is she's also like unsure of her reality. Like, and, and She's maybe, a replicant. Yeah, well, she's also, like, still combating with that idea. And there's a certain sense of, like, him bringing on this primal human emotion towards her, Mm -hmm. which I think is, like, bringing her closer to life. Which, it's a little bit of a stretch, but there's something I'm reading there of, like, uh, making her feel more like a human. And in a way, it's, like, a little disrespectful and and very, like, you know, let's let's not dance around it. It's a little bit of rapey vibes that you got going on. 
Oh but, yeah, definitely. Well, okay. He definitely assaults her, right? Like he throws her against a wall. And then after that is when right. everything, when he tells her to say things. So I think at its core, they're trying to maybe do something with her. Uh, they're trying to deal with agency and free will, but it's just like really it doesn't play well today because ultimately she's saying, I want this from you. And he's right. like, tell me you want me, but it comes across because of how it leads up and everything yeah. as him forcing her right. to do it. Even if maybe it is um, more consensual than it reads to us today. Right. right? right. Indeed. I think it reads consensual, but it's problematic. <laughs> like, I think ultimately it leads. It, it feels it feels like it's not uh, it's not a rape scene. It's, it's it's arguably not, but it is definitely a forceful intimacy. <laughs> I don't think it 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 doesn't come across as consensual to me. But um, yeah, outside of that. Yeah, it's not particularly, oh, okay. but I mean, obviously, I don't think Ridley Scott shot it. Let's let's be clear. I don't think he shot it intentionally as a rape scene, right? Like sure, the music would sure, be totally sure. different right, if right. if it was intended to be that way. But right, looking at it today, right? Yeah. Think the concept, I, the idea that she wants it is definitely something you're projecting onto the scene. There's no indication whatsoever in any of the dialogue or any of she of her scenes seeks that him out. Would say that she seeks. Yeah, she's. She actively not sexually though, but she's also a robot. She seeks him out to get some answers about her past because of the tests that he ran when he went to the Tyrell Corporation (sighs) earlier in the day. I think there's There's nothing. There's more to it. There's more to it than that. Maybe they're they're flirting when he's giving her the the test. There's a flirtatious element there. I'm not saying she's Brian. Brian, you want to chime in here? All right, let's move. Let's move on to another topic. (laughs) Listen, we have a difference of opinion. I don't think it's like I. I do think that if a director our age or a little bit older made this scene today it would it would try to convey what i'm explaining it would try to convey what i'm explaining but in a way that didn't seem so problematic i would say so i think that scene christian just to put it to try and wrap it up there's tension during that scene right the scene where he's giving her the void confidence uh, uh, test is very tense right right? so yes that puts a good bow on it all right (laughs) move it well i'm sorry i just because she clearly, you know, she makes the lesbian comment. So there's something, you know, obviously yeah, yeah. Yeah. that's that's underneath yeah. there. It was the 80s. That's Let's also programmed. Listen, you had Ronald Reagan. Some boys were just like, we got to blow some shit up. <laughs> you know? Anyway, I haven't played a lot of Call of Duty Cold War. Um, Let's heat up this Cold War. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, All right. Moving on to my opinions, watching it now. Uh, to be fair... I fell asleep again. I fell asleep during this movie. <laughs> just the first time. Grisha just texts us, boys, we've got a problem. <laughs> we were two days away from recording, and uh, yeah, I, I was planning on watching it all, and um, yeah, I fell right asleep. And I think part of that is to do with... So, so right off the bat, I was actively enjoying it immensely. I really I really was, and I, I did enjoy watching this movie a l- like more than I've ever enjoyed it. And, and to the point where it was like, wow, this is like, there's some stuff about this that's like really qu- quite breathtaking about how this is 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 portrayed. And I think that's because it, it, you take out the narration, which is how I remember always seeing it, and it just lets the cinematics give you the, the, the story. And most importantly, not the story so much, because I do think that's, Brian, you're hitting it on the head. This story it's not it's not it's super interesting it's it's like there's a lot to dissect in the symbolism and the visuals 
But to me, Deckard is such a blah character in so many ways. Like, he's just kind of sucks in, like, most ways where... Because he's not even morally redeeming, which is not the only thing that makes an interesting character, he's actively not interesting. And it's really sad because I don't think Harrison Ford's doing a particularly bad job. His character just seems a little not well thought out. And I think that's really what draws it down. But I do think this film is a mood piece. At its core, especially with the soundtrack... With the visuals, you are just feeling this movie as it happens, which I think is what makes it special. I think it's why a lot of people love this movie is because I I really was vibing pretty hard with it with me getting in cyberpunk mode. I'm trying to give this film another chance. I got like I got the surround sound going. I've got it on a big 4K TV like I'm ready for it. And it really is effective. Like it is all, especially with this final cut, it just, and 4K, it's just, a, there's nothing quite like it when it comes to films from the 80s. We're going to watch RoboCop, by the way, and we're going to see some shit that we're like, ugh, that looks bad. Now it's a little bit more like action 80s, commando-esque, like sci-fi action movies. It's fun. It's indisputably just a more fun movie. But there's like some stuff that looks like straight ass from the 80s. It's like 80s CG looking crap, right? And it's like uh, stop, uh, stop motion stuff that just doesn't look really great. But this movie will hold up for a long time because it's artistically sound. It is visually sound. And so yeah. this film will never look bad. And that's very, if you up this to 4K, you up I watched it in 4K. It was beautiful. It's a masterpiece in that. <laughs> but the movie kind of sucks uh, from, a, from a character <laughs> standpoint. There's some interesting stuff having, happening with Roy Batty and, and maybe seeing this in the theaters in the 80s, like this would have really sparked some interesting stuff I never thought about. But having seen Ridley Scott, what he's done in Prometheus and in Alien Covenant, Ridley Scott has tapped into like, and even Alien itself, has tapped into more, to me, more interesting android-human related interactions. There's been better performances. There's been better story. There's been better things that have happened with that idea that it doesn't feel as original as it probably did to people who saw it in the 80s, right? I'm looking at it going, this man's career had more interesting stuff along this and other stuff and, and for my take of it. And uh, and it, the movie's too long. Even with the final cut, it's it's two hours it's two hours long. It, it's it's really long. This is why I fell asleep. And I fell asleep loving the movie and thought I finished. Like I was like, I only have like 10 minutes left in that piece. And I popped it on the next day. And I had an hour and 15 left. And I was like, oh, God damn. <laughs> Shit. I was like, re- I was seriously ready to be like, I've completely changed my mind on this. Like, I've completely turned around Blade Runner's masterpiece. And to an extent, I, I do think it is a masterpiece in in storytelling through visuals and production design. like, And that's stuff I always knew, but I, I really did appreciate in a whole new light and, and really do love it. I just think for the actual meat of the, the interactions, if you're sitting with it and dwelling with it, I think there's a lot to get out of it. I think visually telling the story and, and, and having these themes that come through visually is really where it's at its strongest. And then Harrison Ford is just... This is not super interesting as a person. And 
I, I don't feel like the Android's journey ends in in a in a in a super meaningful way. Like there, there's some stuff at the end. I think the end is very redemptive of what they're trying to do. Like I think it, it lands. It lands on its two feet. It definitely does. And I, I think that's what helps it stick. Right. It lands the ending. So like the because the redemptive art comes from um and I'm Roy so bad with names. Roy Batty, with yeah, with yeah. Roy's character, right? So I think that's kind of like so this is like a neo noir, right? In noirs historically, I don't think there's generally like this huge character redemption arc from our our main characters, right? So maybe it's just a you know from from kind of the thing they're going for, but yeah, no, it's I definitely see where you're coming from in that regard. And and let's let's talk about the noir genre. I really want to dive into it because it's funny that. The studio felt, so historically, and correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, the studio felt like it wasn't an easy plot to follow. They wanted something that was a little more four quadrant. And they were like, it's noir film. He has to be, Harrison Ford has to be telling us what's going on. Yeah. And to a certain extent, that does fit the genre better. So, Chris, I'm interested in your your thoughts on how this interacts with the noir genre, with the science fiction, and, and the effectiveness cutting out the voiceover and how that plays into like the main character development. I just think it's it's uh, more intelligent storytelling. You know, Christian, you and I have said in the past, and it's a common phrase like "show don't tell" when you're you're making cinema, right? Mm. It's kind of a cliche at this point. But even Harrison Ford himself kind of pleaded with Ridley Scott at a point. He was like, "Can we shoot some extra scenes?" to kind of pad out this movie to show them the things that I'm actually supposed to be narrating here in the script. Um, and it, it was just an excessive amount of voiceover um, to the point where it was ruining the film, in my personal opinion. But I think I think in in the noir genre, like you don't typically have such high concepts uh, in classic noir. You know, they right. they aren't as cerebral as this film is. So I think if you're telling a classic noir detective story, then yeah, the voiceover suits that. You know, because they're not you're, you're not presenting ideas like, you know, what does it mean to be human? You know, stuff like that. Um, you're not having characters that are like questioning death and and concept like concepts like those. So uh, it works better for yeah. those more simplistic films. But uh, it, it just kind of gums things up in, in this film when you add the voiceover in. Indeed. Brian. Yeah, I can't really speak to the the voiceover as much. I think I agree that this movie could be a little tighter and could be a little clearer about what's going on sometimes. What I appreciate in terms of the arc from Harrison Ford's character and what comes through every time is hit the more he realizes about what's going into creating the replicants he starts to realize more and more how difficult it is to know if you're a replicant or not, or if you're actually human. So when he gets exposed to the idea of implanted memories, we see him after that flipping through a bunch of Mm -hmm. photos. And it's not entirely clear if those are his photos that he's going back through. But ultimately, we see he looks at one of these photos and zooms in and there are images within the images. So there's this kind of idea that, okay, you can manipulate photos, create out of full cloth fake images to use as part of the memory implant system. So it brings up this whole question of what is memory? How can you 
um, you know, use it to control people as they're as they're doing here. But all of this stuff is really wrapped up in a couple of lines about we get a line about the what is it standard pleasure model for military clubs, which is just basically sex robots, right? And so this is just a casual one-line thing about this universe. And, you know, we have things like that, and I don't mean to go too far um, off, off topic here, but like you were saying, Chris, with the Nomar, a lot of times it's very like, we don't know what's going on, but the plot is ultimately kind of this streamlined thing that we're figuring out as we go along. This movie, the main character's trying to, while solving a crime, figure out if he's a human or not as well. And that's something that's very difficult to get across from just facial stuff and and, um, and visuals on the screen. But ultimately, I think it does work in that way, even though I think it is maybe a, a little long. So I don't know. I definitely I haven't seen it with the voiceover, so I, I can't say if I prefer it or not. But from what I've heard, uh, this is this is the way. Well, it, it marks... It marks a truly interesting film that draws me to think about all these movies that I love that I feel like take concepts that this film does. And I'm like, yeah, that concept's so interesting that there's this entire movie that I love that's just about that. You know, you mentioned the sex robot thing, and I'm like, uh, Ex Machina is like sex robot the movie, and I appreciate (laughs) that movie so much more and it it touches on a lot of things this movie does and it's like i like that movie more let's talk about noir movies one of my favorite films no secret we did a top five movies of all time is brick which is a high school noir movie and i'm like as a noir flick that movie has the mystery wrapped up and it unravels that thread every second and this movie because it's cerebral is like just in its feels for so long (laughs) so much of the time that the thread is like lost on you by the time we go to, cause that's the thing you're, you're drifting off into, yeah, what does it mean to be human? And then there's suddenly this mystery that's trying to be solved and like a, a crime that's being chased off to the point where at the end of it, I, I honestly was how, ha- and, and maybe this is why like you have to rewatch it a bunch of times. Like I get that, but it's like two hours and it's kind of boring. Right, the plot right. isn't pulling me. You know, the cerebral stuff's interesting. It's my mind wondering. But then by the time I'm like interested in that idea, it's like we're on to a new, big, profound idea. And and we do get like, listen, this film's famous and people love it for a reason. Like I was enthralled by the scene between Roy Batty and Tyrell. Like, of course. And uh, not to mention what we've been talking about on the weekly uploads and plug those too much, but it revolves around chess a little bit. Uh, and that was like really cool to see that go in. And that was like a really high point in the movie where there was this tension. And apparently that match is like uh, supposedly re- referring to some famous chess match from like the 1800s or oh, something. Oh, really? I, I, I read something briefly cool. on Wiki That's about crazy. it. Yeah. And the chess pieces are like wild. They're, I don't even know what those chess pieces are. Apparently standard, though. They had the same names, right? Well, no, no, they were, but like the actual figures that represented it. No, designs. No, I and you could too, see right. Tyrell's were different than even, um, uh, I believe his name is Sebastian, mm-hmm. uh, the programmer, who who I think is a really interesting character. Uh, and I think the like a really weak... Perf- sad character. A sad character, but kind of like a weak performance. I don't know. I just feel like there was something about that character that seemed a little off to me where I'm like, this just... It felt like all his lines were 80-yard just from the what I was listening to. It just felt kind of misplaced mm. and a little weird. So I, I enjoyed the idea of that character, but I, 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 don't, I don't... 
I mean, the execution for, for me wasn't like Blade Runner is like, oh, it's legendary, right? And then when you're just kind of disappointed by something and you're like, this character seems like it could have been fleshed out and seems like a different actor, it seems miscasted, that, that stuff really hurts when you're like, why am I thinking this about the best sci-fi movie of all time? And maybe that's just too much hype and too much pressure to put on a Possibly. Film. Yeah, and so I'm, I'm fully aware of that. But the character himself of uh, the, the programmer, I thought was, was really interesting of him being seduced by the 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 friendship of of the robots right i think that's uh, the androids rather uh, is the proper replicants replicant uh do you want to get down a nerd hole on what a robot versus an android versus a replicant is no we definitely we don't, don't have to, to do that but i do love how this movie is also kind of it can just if it it could be the same movie nearly and not be about replicants you know it could just be about the underclass and what people are seen as valuable or not valuable because we learned throughout the movie that um the replicants are like working basically as slaves off world uh roy batty's character has fought in multiple wars yeah seemingly for humanity and it's just really interesting because things like the animatrix and the history of what led up to the the events in the matrix are very much like all right we create these things enslave them and then they become aware that they're enslaved right and it's this story that keeps coming back and obviously you know we have a history of enslaving actual humans here so the messages about who is a human and who isn't I think is really important and I don't want to rehash this entirely, but I think Deckard ultimately doesn't view them as, you know, living entities, which is why he can treat the woman the way he does sure. uh, in that moment to some degree. Right. He's, he's removed from her as like a, a real person. Um, even though we see that these things like Roy Batty mourns for the loss of the woman he's with, even mm-hmm. though he has the four year lifespan to presumably prevent um, high level emotions. I'm all over the place here, but I mean, this movie has just got like so many different um, little things. I'm trying to, and that's to, like the uh, thing that's that almost to. a little frustrating is like the world building is right. so solid that you're almost a little disappointed that what you're watching isn't. I think this is the Ridley Scott thing on some level too, though, right? This is what people didn't like about Prometheus to some degree. It's like he throws all of the symbology in there, but it's like you almost want the the stuff that they're not talking about right. <laughs> the stuff that's implied as much as what you're, what you're sure, being shown. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't argue with that, but yeah, just him talking about what he's seen. He's like, you don't even know your own civilization compared to what I right. know about it. Right. I, I thought that was very powerful. I, I enjoyed that. And that's why, again, I'd argue, you know, as much as this film frustrates me to uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of points, you know, that ending scene and that ending conversation is, is very effective. Speaking of that scene, uh, Rutger Hauer was actually the one that came up with the, you know, his memories will disappear like tears in the rain line. That wasn't written into the script. That was something that, that uh, Rutger Hauer came up with on the spot. That was an improv. That was improv. It sounds that's like a prince. Incredible. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's wild. I did not know that one. See, okay, so... The most for a movie that is so indecipherable, him holding a dove as he dies and letting it fly away. It's like the most like beating you over the (laughs) the head with like, does he have a soul or something? What's that bird? (laughs) What's it supposed to represent? (laughs) But I I do think it is a beautiful, a beautiful moment still. Yeah, indeed. All right. Uh, You know, this is a very massive film. We could talk for hours. There's video essays that have gone on. Dangerous Days, the the yeah. documentary that I referenced earlier, 
is longer than the movie itself. It's actually like over three hours long. And just a fascinating story of making a film like this in Hollywood and it's the pretty timing insane of it. everything that they did. Yeah, there, there's 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 quite a bit to it. To maintain this like futuristic aesthetic, uh, they even made their own chairs. Like, you had producers coming onto set being like, "Why do you have guys building chairs in that garage when you could go out and buy chairs?" And Ridley Scott's just like, I have to maintain the futuristic aesthetic, and these chairs don't exist. People like, will recognize those chairs from Ikea, okay? <laughs> we cannot hide them on so set. So it's, it's just like a huge level of detail and love went into the the production design of this movie. I mean, I think back to like what what like strikes my memory when when they're in Sebastian's like apartment, dilapidated mm-hmm. apartment complex, and the the dirigible, like the Zeppelin that goes above with the uh with the asian lady because like they had predicted i get one of their theories was that like asians would immigrate so much that like most of la would be asian or it would be yeah it would be like um like a melting pot basically yeah but mostly they really focused on asians there's a lot of (laughs) japanese influence and then you have edward james Olmos who's speaking like a weird hungarian it's really interesting. Yeah, which I still don't know. I have to watch some videos on what his character is. I, I am confused by, like, I'm like, is that dude real? I, I, don't, I don't know. He's a real person, yeah. But how, he, like, shows up. He's supposed to, so he works for the department. Uh-huh. And he's supposed to handle, like, the sketchier jobs that they But he have. shows up and, like, says some cryptic shit and then, like, disappears. <laughs> So Edward, Edward, I think he's the memory man. Edward James almost in the movie, uh, basically went to Ridley Scott and was like, I want to develop a language that is essentially going to be this melting pot street city language. Uh, so he essentially constructed the language himself. That's why he's like, you cannot distinguish anything that he's saying. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause it's supposed to be this like future amalgamation of like all these different languages basically sure before we get into final thoughts uh i do want to say that uh, i still prefer blade runner uh 2049 i believe is the year it's a great movie isn't that movie like two and a half hours yeah long? but it's, it's impressive so that you like it's it more. so much better though it's so much more like the story of it's so much more interesting i i think the ending might be the only thing that is better in, in the original blade runner because I, I think the ending's a little confusing and that maybe because i never finished the original blade runner before i watched it but I immediately put that movie on as soon as finishing this. It made me really want to revisit it. I put it on and just watched like the first like 30 minutes. And I was like, yes. I, it's also just breathtakingly gorgeous. Uh, yeah, it's beautiful right? as well. Like, it kind it's of ridiculous. does the same thing as far as, I don't want to say the same thing because there's some new technology, but I think it gets across the same stuff with a little bit more interesting of a story. And I believe uh, R- Ryan Gosling's character is just infinitely a more interesting story that he has with his AI counterpart and uh, that it, to me it's, it's doing what Blade Runner did, but better. And I know that's sacrilege, but um, I'm ex- I, this movie made me very pumped to revisit 2049. So I could probably understand 2049 is Blade Run her. <laughs> oh, mark that down. <laughs> like, like, like the Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. Cause he's dating oh. an AI in the movie. Oh, I'm sorry. This it was it a good land. joke, Brian. What about a, what about a movie about a, like Roman centurion who dates an AI and it's called Ben Hur. 
chariot races. <laughs> <laughs> Just free association. Uh, but the chariots are uh, like uh, those bikes from uh, fucking Tron. <laughs> there you go. Light cycles. Hey, yeah, we're uh, we're pitching movies here. Final thoughts on Blade Runner. If you haven't seen it and you like film, you have to see this movie. Power through the first half hour because I, I, I'll, I'll give Christian this. The first half hour of the film is is slower than the rest of the what? film. I thought the first hour is the better, but until you get to the very end, I, I think it's the middle for me that was that. It's really interesting. Yeah, I, I was, I was. Then in I it. stand corrected. I, I, I was vibing with the mood piece. I was like, in, I was like, oh, I'm because the voiceover was gone, and I was just like, it was just like. <laughs> and just ziggurats or what, what, what's the word for those like pyramid things ziggurats uh what am i what am i am i saying it wrong that might yeah, be yeah, it. yeah. I'm not but sure. it's like yeah. a name for like a pyramid alien pyramid structure or something anyway the like like just the city and the cars and the, the lighting and the smoking yeah i'm vibing Ugh. i was vibing so hard i was like yeah i'm kind of into this right now and uh it just just never uh it just got is not interesting at some points so but yes, if you just power through it, I think it's. I think it is definitely. I I am a bad film lover for putting it off for so long and neglecting to power through it. Oh yeah, I I pretty much I, I largely agree with you guys here. This is a movie that is ridiculously impressive, but it's not something that I would actively recommend to a bunch of people who aren't big into film, right? Because like you said, a little bit overly long. Some the main character is not particularly likable, but for me, someone who, you know, The Shining is my favorite movie, I'm going to come back to this movie in, you know, 6 months to a year and see what I have to think about it then because I have some notes that I took from 2018 and I was just like, wow, okay, I'm thinking about it completely differently <laughs> this time yeah, around. Yeah. Uh not not That's entirely, awesome. but you know, things are standing out differently. So, it's that sort of movie. So, um I, I definitely appreciate it on that level. Yeah. Yeah, all I have to say is Deckard is not a good badass protagonist either. It's not like he's like a bad boy or that he's like ambiguous, but he's also capable. He's like pretty incapable. He gets his ass handed to him pretty handily. There's not particularly anything that where you go like, oh, Deckard's a really good Blade Runner. You know what I mean? Yeah, for someone that whose occupation uh, requires him to, to fight best. replicants all the time. He's like terrible uh, at he it. He definitely gets his ass kicked <laughs> by replicants a lot. Like mostly. He he only beats the gymnastics uh, replicant because she decides to make it all like a show. She like literally gives up the advantage and then starts backflipping towards him. Some people would pay for a show like that. Oh my that. God. But he gets, he like literally shot a, like a woman android or replicant rather like through a glass, like only because she was, he shot a, a replicant. And the only reason he killed her is because her back was turned. He, he represents like bad police violence. <laughs> Maybe that's the point. He also pretended to be a journalist to like presumably see her change. And everything. that was, <laughs> it was that, that was that his most thing, interesting character. I don't think moment. it was to see her change, Brian. He was just trying to get access to her. Yeah, I like enough. that. I liked, I mean, I, I, I like that was the most character. Moment yeah, from that him, was right? him. It's like, Oh, he's got a personality. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, there. Oh, he's like undercover and pretending. And I was like, Oh, he's kind of interesting now. And then just never again. It's also but weird. Harrison shoots Ford her in the moment. back repeatedly, right? <laughs> it's it's I'm not going to lie. It's weird to see Harrison Ford do impressions because Harrison Ford, for the most part, is Harrison Ford, you know, 
uh, sure. when he goes and does impressions, like an impression of a reporter, he kind of just comes across as condescending, <laughs> like his, his nerdy voice, uh, it's kind of the same voice he uses when he talks about Star Wars fans. It's one of those things too, too when I think about like what's the problem there? I'm like is this character poorly written? Is it miscast? Is it just that the edit doesn't put it together? Well, so there was a lot of issues casting his role from what I understand as well, like a laundry list of other people that were that were involved. Yeah. Or potentially. I like Harrison Ford. I I, I do. Uh, I, I'm just not sure that this was the role for him. Um, and, and maybe that's a big part of why I just don't hide the, hold this film in, in the, the, the highest. Regard. Dustin Hoffman was actually on the short list. Definitely would have done that reporter Rick scene. Deckard. He would have crushed that reporter scene. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I could see that for sure. In a different universe, maybe. In a different universe, Christian is praising Blade Runner because of Dustin Hoffman's unforgettable performance (laughs) that's blade runner uh chris what else does our cyberpunk month have in store for us what are we talking about next week next week we're talking about the 1987 film robocop robocop one that i haven't revisited since i was a kid this is one of like the first rated r movies i saw uh and uh, i'm excited to talk about it because i loved it this movie a little spoiler for our loyal listeners i hate this movie Actually, oh, wrote, I wrote a paper about it in college. Uh, the thesis was essentially about film violence and how this movie has an excessive amount of film violence. Oh my god, I'm so excited because, I, dude, this is a reverse Blade Runner situation. I it love, is a reverse Blade Runner situation. I love RoboCop, and I would never say it's a great <laughs> movie, but uh, it's certainly uh, fun to watch. And uh, if you're not cop, you're little people. Applies to both. Um. <laughs> all, all man, all cop, all machine. I'm just ready for some one-liners. I will be bringing the written down one-liners from RoboCop next week, guys. Ready for oh, it. I'm so excited. So look forward to that. It's going to be a fun revisit. Hear me gush about a movie and hear Chris. Tell us why my guns are bad and robot violence is bad. Meanwhile, us, it's gonna be great. us, men, wait. us men over here. Talk about how you know. robots shooting things are great. We'll see. We shall see. It'll be a fun conversation. So uh, we recommend if you've enjoyed this conversation, uh, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Also leave us a review. We read those aloud on our weekly upload. You can also email us at pompaholicscast gmail.com. Also check out our social media link down below. Check out our affiliate link, all that stuff. And check out our weekly uploads where we just talk about the ongoings of pop culture. Gentlemen, where can people find more of your work on the internet? I forgot to do that on the weekly upload, didn't I? Yeah, I did. Yeah, that's okay. Though. That's okay. That's fine. We're running long. It's a long night. It's a late night. It is. Loyal listeners, you can find me on Twitter at Chris Conkling. And you can find me on Twitter at True Papaholic. And Christian and I actually have a single out right now under the artist name, who knows, called Alchemy. Uh, more to come soon. Probably be announcing something next week. Tight. Uh, for the Ooh, remainder of that. Very cool. Yeah, super proud of that. I still love that track. I listen to it all the time. And I can't say that for everything that I've worked on musically. So uh, check that out. Alchemy by Who Knows. You can also check out other musical stylings by me, Christian, at uh, Midnight Satire. Search for me on Twitter, as well as Apple Music to hear my album Bad Karaoke and Water.jpg all streaming on those platforms. Cool. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much. And loyal listeners, you have just a wonderful...